that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss some movies you'll never discuss in the film studies course. And we are back to basics. Yes, we are back to the mission statement of this particular podcast, insofar as we are inaugurating our new marathon, Lesser Part Threes, Chapter One. That is right. We're we're going back to basics, doing a, a high concept marathon. Uh, no more Shocktober's, which is a simple marathon. No more Netflix Novembers, also kind of a cheats. We're doing a weird marathon again. Yes. It's our bread and butter. That's right. The weird a, marathon. A highly specific marathon. When we're talking about bad parts three, or perhaps parts three that are in need of some defense. We'll see what happens with all that. But we are talking about Back to the Future part three, uh, which I think mostly no one loves. And this will be interesting to discuss. Let's go ahead and identify the voices speaking directly to your brains, though, here at the Good Trash Genre Cast. Yes, sir? Uh, I just want to interject that I was typing in the the marathon list in my phone, and when I went in to type in Batman, uh, it autocorrected to Batsman. Batsman. I felt like that was appropriate. Too. Batsman. It's Batsman. Batsman. Yeah. yeah, it have to be that. So okay. Well, all right. Well, Yuri, since you were talking anyway there on the uh, recliner, can you identify yourself, please? I am Arthur Gordon, and Clint Eastwood never wore anything like this. <laughs> Excellent point, sir. Uh, I appreciate that very much. Uh, who are you, sir, on the couch? My name is Dalton Stewart, and we are going to be recording at 8 o'clock. I do my podcast in After Breakfast. Thank you very much. My name is Dustin <laughs> Sells, and I wish I'd never invented this infernal podcast. It's caused nothing but disasters. <laughs> when, he, when he said that, I was hoping that you'd pick it. <laughs> I'm so glad somebody did, honestly. Yeah. I'd been really disappointed if one of you did not. So, um, uh, because I did... Um, we're here, um, and so we're stuck doing this thing yeah. here in which... Somehow. Like, you know, you we're know. like in a time loop. Yeah, we're bringing analysis, again, to films that won't make their way into a film studies course, and I think we can guarantee this one's never Correct. making the bill. No, I can't. I can't It'd imagine. it be a very specific a film course. Real particular course, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, lesser uh, part three, so, <laughs> chapter one. The syllabus. <laughs> to warn you, dear listener, if this is the first time you're tuning into the Good Trash Media Network and the Good Trash Donor Cast, this is an analysis show, not a review show show and so we might spoil 1990s back to the future part three for you all um in great the course scott. <laughs> great scott in the course of the discussion so uh what i want to tell you is this though in order to give you some sort of reprieve and expectation as to what's going to be coming down the pike for you we're going to have synopsis which of course will be spoiler free we'll have our thumbs up thumbs down reviews which are also spoiler free then we're going to play our game which might involve the mild spoiler here around this film or films in its orbit and then we're going to that place where we don't need any roads, where we make our own roads, where we bring the analysis to this uh, film, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. You have been warned. We'll try not to break the time-space continuum while we're at it. So, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, let's go ahead and hear that synopsis. Yeah, um, so... <laughs> oh, you weren't ready, were I you? was not ready for this. <laughs> um, let me see if I can just do it on the fly while I'm looking it up. Uh, in the third part of the 
lauded Back to the Future franchise, our hero Marty finds himself going back to Oscar. Uh, he tried. I was going. I was. I was getting there. Enjoying a peaceable existence in 1885, Doctor Emmett Brown is about to be killed by Buford Mad Dog Tannen. Marty McFly travels back in time to save his friend. It's not the way I would have went with that synopsis. I don't think it makes it sound like it's no. uh, Emmett's movie. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, I think it's Emmett's movie more than it's it Marty's is. movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he does have the love. Decidedly interest. more than part one and part two, yeah. anyway. Yes. So, okay. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll take that. So let's go ahead and talk about what we think uh, in the rewatch of this it's, film. It's the Old West one. It's the Old West one. It's, it's the cowboy version. So, uh, Dalton Stewart, thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think of Back to the Future Part 3? I I liked it more than I thought I would. I liked it more than I remembered. I, I think what works about Part 3 uh, that doesn't work about part two is that it does kind of stand on its own. Uh, part two really is a retread of part one. And that's an interesting idea, right? Is to say, what if part one only worked out? Cause it turned out they were also time traveling on top of their time travel into part one, which means there's two Marty's running around in 1955, which is a, a fun aspect of part two. The accidentally screwing up the past is, is fun. You know, uh, trying to fix the future these these are fun ideas in part two but they were all by the end of the or the start of the second act i think gosh how early does it happen but anyway the crux of the climax and the the big action in part two is just going back to part one which i think is kind of uninteresting and and hurts that movie um you know everybody remembers the fun 2015 stuff in that film but you forget the the retread stuff i think what back to the future part three has going for it is it's kind of a standalone adventure it it makes more sense that after making sure his parents get together, Marty and Doc would just go off on unrelated adventures, honestly. And uh, I think that really is the strength, is just getting to see them do more fun time travel adventure stuff. Um, now, does all that stuff work? I mean, it's, you know, it's, an, it's a 1990 film. There, there are some things that don't totally work. It, it is does feel a little cheaper than Back to the Future Part 1 and Part 2, honestly. And I wonder if that's a feature of the fact that uh, two and three were shot simultaneously. Um, but it also could just be a feature of the fact that it's a period piece, whereas part two is a science fiction film. Um, so I, I don't know. I could go either way on that. Um, w- what's good? Christopher Lloyd is great. I mean, he is as great as ever um, showing up uh, to save Marty from being hung by Buford Mad Dog. Tannen's really great with his his crazy telescopic rifle. That's fun. Uh, seeing him be a cowboy and getting to see what excites him. You know what I mean? You know, we, we spent part one getting to know Marty as this teenager and Doc Brown as this kooky old man. I think part three is fun because you get to know Doc Brown a little bit better, right? You get some background on what he was like as a kid. You know, what what kind of person he is, what excites him, what interests him. Howdy um, duty time. Exactly. You just all these kind of fun little things. Uh, and then you've got Mary Sternberg uh, as Clara, and she's great. I, I love her. She's, I, I, you know early in her career was kind of known as a dramatic actress and over the last 10 years, you know, kind of starting with Step Brothers, has really become a fixture in comedies. Uh, she's great on The Last Man on Earth right now. Um, so I'm always happy anytime she shows up in something because uh, I'm, I'm always a big fan. And it really is the the movie, uh, the movie is those three people's movies. Uh, Michael J. Fox, Mary Sternberg, and Christopher Lloyd. I mean, yeah, uh, other people show up. Leah Thompson shows up for a little bit. Uh, speaking of, let's go ahead and take a moment to point out how weird it is that Marty McFly's paternal great-great-grandmother looks exactly like his mom. 
The McFlies, they got a type. They have a very specific type. type to the genetic level. They have a type. It's very weird. Also, it makes no sense that this woman uh, in the 1880s would live in the exact same place as a woman unrelated to her that looks exactly like her, unless we're being led to believe. Um, I forget what uh, Leah Thompson's character's name is, honestly. In the Mrs. One. McFly, and don't you forget the Mrs. We, <laughs> well, I, in, what did, gosh, what is her name? In the movie? Yeah, in part one. His mom's name. I don't know. Lorraine? Lorraine. Lorraine, Lorraine yeah. Davis? Is it Lorraine Davis before? Oh, I don't know what her maiden name was, yeah. Anyway. We're not that into the... My point is, the fact that his mom looks exactly like this woman is completely baffling. It makes no sense. Uh, but it's also kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, I also like... Uh, I like their bad Irish accents, honestly. I love them. I think they're charming and adorable. Um, the only thing that I don't love about this is I feel like would honestly be more fun if the, the joke of the movie was subverting, uh, the real West, the real West versus Hollywood West. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the movie spins most of its runtime saying, yep, the old West was exactly like movie old West. Uh, Um, and, and that's fine. That's a fun movie to do too. Um, it just, I think it might have been more interesting for Marty and Doc to like keep try, like for Marty to keep trying to do what he knows from westerns, yeah, and just keep falling flat on his face doing that. Um, I, f- I feel like that might have been a little bit more interesting, but as is, it's just okay, let's take the gang and put them in a western, yeah. and it worked pretty well for the most part. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Uh, Back to the Future Part 3, how does it run for you? I think it's really sweet. I think it's cute. I think it's a fun time to be had. Um, I, I echo a lot of Dalton's sentiments, I think. You know, Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox are both having a lot of fun. They're doing great. Mary uh, Steenberg? Ste- I think it's Steenberg. Steenberg? Uh, she's, you know, she's fun uh, as Clara. Um, but... Uh, to go back to Dalton's point, I, I actually think that while it having this kind of standalone feel is a really good strength of it, I think that's also one of its biggest part weaknesses its weakness. that make, as, I, as I, part of this franchise. I understand that feeling as well. And yeah. I think, I, I mean, for people who are really diehard fans of 1 and 2, I can see how that would impact their viewing because this does feel such... It almost it, – it's like they looked at this and said, let's take this in the direction of, like, an anthology. Yeah. And I know they did the animated series and things like that, and you could easily do a franchise just the sliders, quantum leap style, are we ever going to get home type of thing and get back to the right timeline. Um, oh, yeah. I like one those of, ideas. One of those kids uh, – light spoiler – one of those kids at the end of the movie definitely grew up to be Rick on Rick and Morty. Yeah. Right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I like – yeah, I mean, you're right. I only bring up that show to say you're right. It absolutely does – the idea of the franchise lends itself so strongly to a kind of uh, story of the week sort yeah. of thing that, I mean, there's no, that's a big part of why I think uh, Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland kind of base Rick and Morty off of that dynamic, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think you're right, Arthur. I think the movie forces fans to choose, do you like one and two or one and three? Yeah. Because three is so divorced yeah. from two that it does kind of force yeah. that dichotomy. Yeah. And I don't feel like it really gives us a a well-rounded ending to the, the, the trilogy as it's, as it stands. Uh, outside of that though, I think it is fun. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoy a lot about it. I, like you said, I, I like that it is Doc's movie. I like getting to know, uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd a little better here. And so I, I really enjoy that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm going to give it a pass. I'm a fan. Uh, you know, it's been a while. I, I, I had wanted to try to watch all three, but I didn't get a chance. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a good time and, you know, I don't know where it stands up to the next to the other two and, you know, watch through, but mm-hmm. 
as a standalone film, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. The only quibble I have with that, Arthur, is I do feel like, and maybe we can talk more about this in analysis, I feel like it does kind of tie up Marty's arc pretty well. Uh, if you think about his arc from one to three, uh, especially in those final scenes. I th- I just feel like there's not enough time devoted with him and the rest of the original cast. You know, you know, that's we, a good point. We get Biff here, you know, or Mad Dog Tannen or whatever. You know, they're they're kind of showing up, but we don't get the full experience with the rest of the cast, I think, like we do in the first two. Totally fair. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I tend to agree about its standaloneness, um, that it does make it feel segmented. It makes it – it feels like – it's an episode of Back to the Future, the TV show. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's, uh, that's feature length. See, I kind of like that about it. Yeah, but it is that that is a thing that does make it of a of a slightly different species than the rest of what we're dealing with with the film. But um, I don't think it feels cheap. I feel like I see a lot of money on the screen. Okay, not, not in terms of science fiction sort of special effects money, but that just the, the the level of attention that is paid to making this a pretty effective period piece. You're yeah. right. I mean, the costumes are pretty good. I, I don't know why I. And, and the train looks great. I don't know. Doc's, big big train stunts. Yeah, Doc's lab slash uh, smithy shop is fantastic. You're right. I might have undersold it. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's all really well done. I think the old Hill Valley Street is great. I like the fact they use this old drive-in movie theater that's clearly in the middle of Monument Valley. Oh, clearly. Yeah. yeah. You know, they built that to uh, – I assume they built that as a set there. I looked it up. Yeah, yeah. They, they built it and immediately tore it down. No yeah. movie ever screened at that theater. That's too bad. I know, right? But, uh, you know, that, that whole thing makes it feel really great, you know, and I really, really like it. I did want very much more uh, the con- sort of continued adventures of Doc and the uh, big uh, train. Uh, time machine. I do remember the Back to the Future uh, cartoon series that was on Saturday morning cartoons in which Jules Last 13 episodes. Yeah, it was not great. Um, but I, I wanted more of that in the movie. I wanted more of that sort of steampunk kind of sci-fi thing that could have been really, really fun. Yeah, Doc Brown having to steampunkify things in the Old West was was kind of a fun touch. Yeah, I was all it's a, it's a refrigerator. I mean, I, that's 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 so much fun. And uh, so I, I dug on all of that. The fish out of water stuff is always something that I kind of you know definitely uh, I vibe with well. So it's it's a fun movie. And that's one I think for me, Arthur, I I, I feel like the fish out of water stuff. Uh, works really well in three, and that's kind of what makes it, uh, to your point about it being disconnected and how that kind of hampers it for you. Uh, I think it's it's connected to one in that it, it navigates the fish out of water stuff much better than, say, uh, going to the future in part two. I don't know that the fish out of water stuff in part two works quite as well uh, with part as as it does in part one because the part two stuff really is kind of pop culture centric. Yeah. Uh, whereas the fish out of water stuff in one and three is more directly tied to a man out of time or, you know, interacting with your relatives before you were born. Right. So, but overall, I mean, it, as a standalone movie, uh, it works, I think, really, really well. It is the weakest movie of the franchise because it's doing a little bit of a different thing. There's a there's a way in which parts one and two are meta in so much as they're meta about the films themselves, right? And the, the sort of uh, d- dealing with what's going on in the background and how we're constructing and doing this, uh, you know, does simultaneous production and all of that that's going on there. There are, there are things that are interesting when you're talking about the Crispin Glover uh, replacement that happens in part two. There are ways in which you're seeing like sort of backstage happening of part one during part two when they're going in. And so all of that is about the production of a film. And part three seems to be a very meta film about film itself, right? And so yes, you do have the dropped idea of the bulletproof vest uh, that's used in uh, the end the, of part two. The, the end yeah. of part two with the Sergio Leone films. 
and so you see that callback happening in part three. That's kind of cool, but it does it does other things just about the movies in general. There's Charlie Chaplin stuff that's going on in there, and uh, that's that's fun. Not Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, uh, with the crashing of the train, and uh, so that that that's fine, and I, I'm I'm all for that. Um, but that being said, it, it is because it is just sort of standing on its own merits, and it is uh, something that doesn't quite reach the sort of great heights that parts one and two do. It still makes itself to be the, the lesser of the three, but that doesn't mean it's bad. You know, it's like the lesser of three, you know, different tubs of ice cream is still pretty good ice cream because it's hard to get ice cream wrong. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I I like it quite a bit. So there are uh, our biases. We, we're we're we're. We're more keen on this film than maybe we expected, and I'm very, very okay with that. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and talk about how the conversation can keep going with everybody else on the interwebs. Dalton, say the words. Dustin, I will absolutely do that. Uh, you can, in fact, uh, communicate with us. Listener, you don't need to uh, bury anything in the sand and then uh, send us a message via DeLorean. You can, in fact, just use the Internet. How? Well, I'll tell you. You can go to Twitter.com, at good underscore trash. That is the way to communicate with the, uh, the probably the best way to communicate with the Good Trash Media Network about anything we've got going on. You can also find us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash GTM, as in Good Trash Media. Um, and, of course, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. That is um, really great. Uh, the reviews are nice because we like to hear what you think, but also just subscribing is nice because uh, it is about the most helpful thing you can do. And um, in in this time, you know, we're doing lesser part threes uh we've got a lesser sequel going on with the net neutrality fight right now uh send us your your well wishes while you can uh we'll keep doing this podcast until they they make us stop but uh you know if that's something you give a shit about um i know a lot of podcasts are telling you to do that right now you should you should go ahead and uh, go online right now uh by the time you hear this the vote will be coming up so uh, n- now would be a good time to uh, just Google that. There's plenty of places to stay informed about how you can do your part in the fight for net neutrality. And if podcasts are something that are important to you, like they're important to us, that is something you should look into taking the time to do. Uh, finally, uh, a little uh, behind-the-scenes pluggy stuff. Uh want to remind you once again that we have a new show on the Good Trash Media Network. That's The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. While we are over here doing a film analysis on the movies you will never talk about in a film studies course, Heath Huffman and Alex Sanchez are talking about Christian music using kind of uh, real musical theory and uh, more uh, just a general music critics type eye to talk about Christian music and then using uh, their their chops as comedians to uh, have a laugh at the spiritual experience uh, that we all go through. Um, so each week they have a guest on to talk about uh, uh, guests of all different faith walks, current and lapsed. And uh, talk about their background with Christian music. So uh, that's The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, the newest show, the newest member of the Good Trash Media family. So you should go check that out. Thank you very much. And we would love to get that feedback via the internet because if you try to geocache us comments, we're never, ever no, going to find never going to happen. So without any further ado, though, I think it's now time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. And we are back with our game, which is uh, sequels we'd like to see set in the West. That's right. Sequels we'd like to see set in the West. Brought to you by Back to the Future, Pop 3. Back to the Future, Pop 3. That's a really long title. Dustin, thanks for not making the name of the game complicated so I didn't have to do a whole bunch of crazy word gymnastics. Uh, You're welcome, I guess. So, yeah. uh, Standard game. Uh, 
Back to the Future Part 3 is, uh, hey, what if but Cowboys? Mm -hmm. So let's take a look at other franchises and say, what if but Cowboys? Arthur, we'll start with you. What are are your ideas, bud? Uh, I'm going to kick it off with a little buddy comedy. Uh, Buddy cop comedy I think could be fun. Uh, I want to take a lethal weapon film and set it in the wild, wild west. And let Martin Riggs go all kinds of wild and zany. Now, are, are um, we doing kind of a modern Western thing, all uh, maybe uh, you know, Sicario? No. Or are we doing okay? Just no, full we're on dropping time them all. Everybody's getting dropped. Time travel. Yeah, it okay. makes no sense. See, it doesn't got, have to make sense. I've got a lot of ones that are modern westerns yeah, on my list. That's a cheat. Yeah, um, maybe. Uh, but yeah, man, it's the perfect setting for Martin Riggs and uh, you know Donald Glover can go, and uh, he's still too old for it. Uh, even in the you know 1800s, uh, they're probably going to have to bring down some kind of maybe like a big casino. It's, it's probably just going to be Maverick. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think it's a good. I think the West can uh, you know set up a lot of fun genres. Buddy comedy is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one though is uh, I want to see Batman in the Wild Wild West. What? I want Tim Burton's Batman in the West. I want it to be all kinds of weird, ooky, gothy, weird, westerny. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to see Batman doing uh, Batman stuff. He's okay. going to have kind of a, a lab, kind of like Doc's thing, you know, his little cave. Uh, but he's going to have uh, a retrofitted bat suit. He's probably going to have a cowboy hat uh, with his little horns coming through at the top. <laughs> It'll be cute. Um, he's going to be all kinds of awesome. It's going to be Michael Keaton. Of course, he's the oh best of the God. Batman, the Batsmen. Um uh, and lastly, I, I want a horror movie set in the Wild Wild West, uh, I, I, and it's not Tremors or From Dust Till Dawn, uh, but I want Halloween. I want Halloween in the West. I want Michael Myers to just oh my God. go to town on the little house in the prairie. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Uh, and punish all those, those, those children for their sins. Oh, no. <laughs> Arthur, you have the most uh, specific list. I do. I like that all of yours I- insist that time travel be part of the storyline yes, of the it, film. It does, yeah, it makes perfect sense for me. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Uh, well, my first pick, uh, I, I decided to, to try and and pick some things that it made sense to to set their spear in the West. I don't know. It just made sense. Because we've got a couple of modern Westerns. Uh, I want to start with Hellboy. Uh, I, I feel like the Hellboy franchise, you know, it's coming back right now. You've got David Harbour uh, from Stranger Things going to be Hellboy. Uh, and while I, I would very much uh, like for Guillermo and uh, Ron Perlman to get to finish a trilogy, it's not going to happen. So we move on. These are, these are This is the world we're living in. So hopefully uh, the movie, the David Harbour film, oh, gosh, and the guy directing it, his name escapes me. It's Do the Doomsday and The Descent and does a bunch of TV. Neil Marshall. I knew I'd remember it if I talked long enough. So let's hope that that franchise goes on long enough and they get to do one set in the Old West. I don't know. Um, there's something fun there. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe a, the ghosts of miners crushed by a thing or... Um, ang- angry spirits of indigenous peoples who were massacred by uh, white oppressors. Uh, either one of those would be cool. Um, I'm, I'm into either. Uh, it's very much... You can see it, right? You can see that I'm Hellboy... I'm just picturing Abe Sapien in a cowboy hat. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> uh, really. I mean, the Hellboy duster, right? I mean, yeah. it just... It, it lends itself to the setting very well, I think. Um, so, next up on the docket, I think James Bond in the Old West, or not the Old West, but James Bond in kind of a modern Western would be interesting. I don't know why he's there, what's going on. Maybe it's casinos, maybe it's a drug trade uh, on the border, uh, which would honestly make more sense. So, yeah, let's just say it's uh, Sicario with Daniel Craig's James Bond. Um, Could be kind of interesting. Um, I I just feel like it's somewhere we haven't seen Bond go. I mean, usually his uh, travels are much more, uh, you know, he's going to places like Macau 
and I don't know the the Swiss Alps. I can't remember. I haven't didn't really pay attention during the most recent one. It's not very good. But I think it is a setting that might breathe some life into the franchise. I don't know that's where we should see Daniel Craig and his stint, but uh, maybe for a second or third outing from the next Bond would be interesting. Um, Last but not least, this one would, in fact, be in the Old West. Uh, Shane Black is coming back for Predator. We don't know much about that one, but hopefully the one after that is Predator versus Cowboys. Yes. Uh, because that's what Cowboys versus Aliens or Cowboys and Aliens. What's the name of that movie? Cowboys and Aliens. It should have been just Predator. I mean, come on. I haven't seen it, but I can tell you right now it'd be better if it was Cowboys versus Predator. Maybe you get uh, a sheriff who uh, is Dutch from the first movie's uh, grand- great-grandfather or something. <laughs> I don't know. You do the math. It sounds dope, though, right? It does. I'm in. Okay. So those are my picks. Those are my, my franchises I would like to see have a entry set in the West. All right. Thank you very much for that. Okay. So my first selection is not really a franchise proper. It's a set of movies. It's a character that's used for throughout cinema a lot. And there is... James ex- Bond-esque. There is an example. Yes, James Bond-esque. There is an example of this already having occurred uh, in which we see Dracula versus Billy the Kid. Do we know this movie? Uh, no. That's a, th- a thing. It's a thing. It's bad. It's really... <laughs> really bad. Okay. But I would like to have seen the same sort of movement. A good Dracula movie. A good movie Dracula less. movie in the Wild hey, West. Hey, Dustin, yeah. you have got to watch Penny Dreadful. Okay. you got to get to season three. Season three uh, takes place predominantly in the Old West. Okay, I'm in then, yeah. yeah I, you're going to love this show. Yeah, I want I want something like that, but I want the good version. Again, then this is sort of like the, one of those Dracula versus yeah. Frankenstein kind it of It already movies. exists, buddy. We're going to get you into Pity Okay, Dracula. You're going to lose I, your mind. I want it very, very much. Um, Next, I want a time travel mistake that's going to... The movie, are, a series already involving time travel. Okay. But John Connor and the T-1, or T-800, excuse me, oh, are traveling oh, back into the Wild West. Oh, yeah. And then Skynet yeah. has already got agents Skynet there. decides the best thing to do is to go way before John Connor is born and just take over <laughs> humanity. Yeah, way before. A couple hundred years early. And we're going to do the whole thing. We have the whole fish out of water thing. We've got the whole uh, people trying to adapt themselves to new technologies thing. It's sort of like the the, the, the Cowboys and Aliens. They, they send hyper-intelligent Terminators back in time to invent Skynet early. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that would Dig be it. so much fun. Yeah, right? I'm picturing a Magnificent Seven versus Terminator type thing. Like, yeah, 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 John Connor has to ride around and like recruit guys to like help them fight these Terminators. Yes. Uh, just a whole town of uh, men, women, and children just uh, kicking ass against robot overlords. And the T-800 can't ride a horse because it'll break its back. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Too heavy. You know, it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they carry it in a wagon. It would just be like running alongside the stagecoach. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be so Oh, my God. Yeah, it would be so great. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Fun. Holy crap. That's my, a good pick, Dustin. My number last pick is, uh, let's just imagine that um, there are multiple matrices in the world of the Matrix. Shut and up. One of Shut the, up. One of the Matrix universes oh, buddy. is the Wild West. No. Oh, oh and, my God, I love and, it. and somebody gets woke in the West. And <laughs> woke in the West. Woke yeah. in the West. That's, that's, actually that's the my hip hop album. <laughs> God, I want to. <laughs> and so we've got the kung fu uh, world bending. The kung stuff fu western I've always wanted. In, in the streets of San Francisco, circa 1880. Oh, my God, that would be so good. And wouldn't it be fun? Oh my god, it would be amazing. I really, I'm, I'm really curious to see while while we're having the, this conversation. It does sound like what Warner Brothers wants to do is uh, do a, a Morpheus centric prequel. And while I am opposed to continuing the uh, Matrix franchise, if it does continue without the Wachowskis, I feel like side stories is the way to go. Yeah, and that might be an interesting yeah. thing. And uh, who mo- movie gods willing we uh if that franchise takes off and is actually good we get to see a digression that's even if it's just a western sim man mm-hmm. that's a really fun 
the West meets the Matrix aesthetic is a really cool idea. Yeah, I, w- I would have fun with that. I would. They yeah. would take my yeah. money for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'd give my money. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our selections for uh, sequels. We'd like to see set in the West. We'd like to hear your selections uh, via those magical means of social media already mentioned. But now it's time to get down to business. Yes, business. Yes, business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, yes, business. Yes, business time. All right, dear listener, we've got our Mr. Fusion. We've got our 8.21 gigawatts of power. We are ready to travel through time as we bring some analysis to Back let's, to the Future Part 3. Let's get this podcast going up to 88, buddy. So, okay, well, I guess the first thing we ought to just talk about is weird and wonky time travel mechanics. I'll tell you what, screenwriting on, on the sort of Schriebner sense of the film is it's so hard to write a good time travel film. As you mentioned already, Dalton, it's weird that Leah Thompson, we got to have her back in the movie because that's part of what the franchise yeah. is about. Yeah. Time but, travel makes your fr- it's, it's It's not that time travel makes movies hard. It's that time travel makes franchise is really hard. Yeah. Right. And, and there's this moment in which uh, Marty asks this question. I, I just want to think about this moment for a little bit out loud where Marty asks, oh man, I forgot about Jennifer. We just left her there on the porch. And he goes, yeah, you left her there in the bad timeline, but it's okay because she'll wake up in the right timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the timeline's been restored. But wait a minute. Has it? Has it? And don't those multiple timelines continue to exist? Do they, apparently in the world of Back to the Future, there is only the one prime timeline. That is what it sounds like, and that's not how time travel theoretically works, according to pop culture. No, Uh, not at all. Yeah, Mm -hmm. my understanding is that uh, if you create an alternate universe through time travel goofery, it keeps going, right? Is that how it works? Absolutely how it works. And just to think about the things that you've done. Uh, There's a question in which, uh, you know, Doc always keeps telling Marty you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. Right, because roads will still be there or will be completed or uh, walls will no longer yeah. be there, those kind of things. But what if you ran a train off of a bridge? Do you think perhaps construction of the bridge might be halted, might be delayed, that there might be major events that happen afterward that might cause the bridge not to be finished? And so that sort of realm of possibilities never really concerned you know, or considered. And uh, – this is a real thing. I mean, it's a problem. And why does the uh, facts still exist if they've traveled back in time? What is the what still exists? The facts still exist. The you're fired facts. Yeah. That, and why would it be deleted? I mean, if they took it from the future. Now, it makes sense that something from the past would be changing if you had it in the present, right? Right. Because it would change. If, if the picture was taken in, uh, let's go to the example that we get from the uh, first movie. You get a, a picture taken in 1980. If yes. something happens in 1955 to change what would have happened in 1980, then the photo would look different in 1985. Okay, right. I can hang with that. I can't. Why would a fax from 2015 change after you took it back to 1985? It's just it shouldn't change from a different timeline. Yeah, now it's just from a different. It, it wouldn't change. I, the rules of the Back to the Future franchise are sticky and very confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it's just like that with the Terminator franchise. And again, I think that brings us to our question. And I think it's why something like, um, you know, something I'm not really wild about, but, you know, Doctor Who, um, I see the appeal of Doctor Who. I think that's why something like Doctor Who or, um, as we mentioned already, Rick and Morty, I think that's why shows like that really work because they lean into how squishy things get when you time travel. When you travel space and time, there stops really being any one prime thing. Uh, It starts being just a lot of different possibilities. 
with Terminator and Back to the Future, they are franchises heavily dependent upon like destinies and one prime set of events. It makes it harder to maintain your franchise for more than really two chapters. I mean, it gets sticky very quickly. There's a reason there is not a primer part two and three, you know? I I think a lot of it is just the pop culture of the early 90s. I mean, we, we when we talked about Bill and Ted, uh, I think we you know we ran a lot of sticky stuff there as well where a lot of the timeline stuff didn't make sense or wouldn't have actually played out that way if there was following a you know, coherent, uh, logical uh, time travel narrative. And I think that's part of it here. It's, you know, it's 90%, oh, this sounds cool, and then 10%, oh, how are we going to make this as best we can? Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the idea, you know, obviously, I mean, from my understanding, I think all the stuff that's happened in the past would have already would have had to happen again. Like, I mean, it's already happened, and that's why we got us to this point. So it's like a cycle thing that's happening. This, this is going to turn into primer of the episode, right? Where we're all just going to go mad. We're going to make uh, diagrams out of our yeah. I've already we'll be here. I already drawing, am. We'll be here drawing diagrams of straws all day. Yeah, Pluto's helping me. Um, I, I'm using his cat hairs. Uh, <laughs> we're high on catnip, and we're just going to town. Uh, on this, uh, yeah, I, but I do think a lot of it was just early '90s logic of of making a time travel story and not really understanding, you know, those things. And then, uh, especially when the first one is, you know, a couple years uh, removed from the sequels, you know, trying to remember every little thing and trying to tie tie all that up and together mm-hmm. into something that's so coherent. And I think with three, I think I mean it's quite a bit more simplistic than two because they were probably trying to avoid some of those things. Well, yeah, yeah and they kind of retcon different yeah. things. And so there are things that they know that they've never mentioned. So everyone knows about Clayton Ravine, yeah. right? But we've never heard anything about it where teachers fall in and die. Yeah. But of course, can't remember that that's what Clayton Ravine's named after until after we've saved Clara, yeah. right? And then it's named Eastwood Ravine as uh, yes. they, they come back because yes, apparently the, uh, the famous, um, not-so-famous Clint Eastwood uh, <laughs> went off in a train at some point. Uh, so, the, yeah, they, they sort of they, they tidy it up in a way yeah. by doing that. But there's still something that's just really kind of wonky and messy. Yeah. You know? There is a big, a, a very big suspension of disbelief, especially if you've seen the rules that have been established by the rest of the franchise. Yeah. Absolutely. So, anyway, a time travel. And, yeah, and if that hard. bothers you, that's this is going to be annoying. Yeah. It really will be. And I, I mean, like I so said, when I'm not thinking about it, I don't care. And yeah. for the most part, the, the film does a very good job yeah. of being immersive in a world in which I just don't care. It's just fun. And we're having a good time watching a movie. Time travel's not real as far as we know, because uh, none of us have ever met a time traveler. So uh, just uh, go with it. That then, you know of. That we know of. Nothing exists but the present. Nothing exists. Does the present exist? Well, it did. <laughs> so yeah chew on that nugget um, <laughs> i guess we can continue to talk about podcasting where nothing matters so what is present where, where nothing matters let's talk about the fact that it is a movie about sort of the <laughs> it movies. is a movie yes uh, and, and there, there i mean there's this sort of great metatextuality i mean marty's taking the name clint eastwood he's wearing uh he's wearing his uh, man with no ma- name you know poncho yeah. yep. he's using the same sort of move he gets that a we cigarello have. yeah he's doing all the stuff right and so that that's really really fun we have uh we have the uh, the the general uh, going off the cliff right with the same Buster Keaton movie thing with the uh, with the train and so there's mm-hmm. a lot of this big metatextual stuff but there's a moment in the film that I think is really really interesting and uh, is speaking to what the movie is trying to do it's where 
uh, Marty is going to crash into this group of uh, this uh, mural of Native Americans at the drive-in, right? And of course, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally, Marty, because they're not going to be there when you get there. But as soon as you hit the screen, you are in the middle of the action of all these Native Americans all around you in this scene that is metatextually huge because it's Monument Valley where all those John Ford westerns were shot. And the, there's, a, there's a real sense in which the 80s blockbuster, and this is really why I want to come back down to my point. The 80s blockbuster does this amazing thing in which it's using the best it can use with special effects, with uh, sort of, again, this sort of very popular sort of extreme uh, version of the classical Hollywood style popularized by Steven Spielberg, also carried on by Robert Zemeckis, to immerse you in a film world. That that is really, that's where that begins, that, that immersive sort of storytelling. And that's sort of a metaphor of that happening well and i think the choice of making it uh that world for this final chapter be a western is an interesting choice to your point because we're talking about a time in american film history where the western is decidedly out of favor right the late 80s early 90s there's not a lot tombstone uh wider i mean neither of those are particularly well received uh, you've got a couple of fun ones at the end of the 80s, uh, you know, out, not out like Josie Wales, um, High Plains Drifter. Silverado. Uh, stuff like yeah, but not a lot. Uh, yep. It is decidedly a, a time that that's not really a franchise we're doing anymore. And when a franchise falls out of favor, what you do is put another franchise genre. there. Yeah, you, you make that franchise, or that franchise, you take that genre, thank you, Dustin, and you you bring it somewhere else. You do something weird and different with it because nobody's bothering with it right now anyway. And I think, to your point, that does do that sort of very much Amblin Pictures kind of brand of filmmaking uh, that we see here. And, and I think, you know, you've got a guy who's very, obviously very well-versed in cinema with Zemeckis, who's, uh, you know, he's running with he Spielberg, rules, he's running yeah. with Lucas, he knows all those guys, and I mean, they're all coming up together and doing their, sh- you know, shtick. Uh, and so I think he's, you know, part of it is, you know, Dalton mentioned earlier, I think, I think in your review, you mentioned how this doesn't subvert, but it's uh, definitely playing into those old Western stereotypes. And I, I think a lot of that maybe just, it's kind of that love letter, uh, an homage thing that he's getting to do here and kind of playing in these worlds he probably watched and grew up with as well. And so, you know, he's getting to play in his sandbox. And I, I think a lot of that adds to it. And there's, you know, there's so many fun references that if, you know, if you're well-versed in movies, there's an added layer. And even if you're not, you still, you know, there's just some fun there. Um, and to my mind, that is one thing that kind of brings us to something about this that doesn't work that well. What works so well about Back to the Future Part 1 is it says, hey, that time that your parents are always talking about that sounds sort of ideal and different, it wasn't better. It was exactly the same. Yeah. And that's part of what works so well about Back 1. You go back to the 50s and you learn that the people that are grown-ups and in charge now were just a bunch of horny teenagers. Uh, and guess what? That's just how people kind of are. That's that's how the cycle of being a person is. Uh, and that's what works so well about 1. He's, you know, He goes back to the 50s and realizes... It's not that different from now, and the ways in which it are different are yeah. worse. Goldie's not mayor. Yeah. He's the bus boy at the diner. Yeah. Uh, so I think it would have been interesting to go back to the West and kind of do a similar thing as, you know, as a time period that people really romanticize. I mean, the 50s are romanticized now, but they already were in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, to go back to the 1880s and kind of do a little bit of a deconstruction of the romanticization that that time period gets, I think would have been interesting, especially for this franchise, because that's what it did with yeah. its first entry. And I do think that is a weakness of the film. And just that, and that bring, as we've been talking, that's kind of brought us to this point. And that is typically, I mean, that is the MO. Usually, I mean, you watch stuff like the walk or you, I mean, Forrest Gump and, uh, 
uh, oh my goodness, Roger Rabbit. When you look at those movies, he's certainly doing that thing. He's looking at the good old days, and they weren't that good. Uh, but I think you also get the things like Death Bec- uh, Becomes Her, where he's just kind of doing this homage and love to cinema. And I think he's trying to marry those uh, with the Back to the Future you know, trilogy. And I think, again, that's where it kind of diverts from the rest of the series. And I think that's another maybe mark against this as, you know, fans of the films, uh, you know, this, that, that part of it works against uh, the franchise, I think, and uh, as an entry into that franchise. Well, I think overall the, uh, the, the, the trilogy tends to be this interesting sort of conversation about nostalgia. I mean, yeah, the, the mid eighties uh, was a time uh, with the Reagan era when, in which uh, there was a lot, as you've already mentioned, romanticization of the eighties themselves. Uh, but I do find it sort of weirdly prophetic and interesting that um, you find a place like the cafe eighties in 2015, that in the uh, in the twenty teens that we might romanticize the eighties and would want to go back and we would be in a pro- process in a moment we're recapitulating the eighties. Yeah, the eighties is we're kind of doing that. The, it's it's interesting that Zemeckis and Co. decide to assume that the eighties will have the same kind of affection that we'll have the that we would have the same affection for the eighties that the eighties had for the fifties, and really it does. I, I get, you're do. right. There's a bit of it. There is a bit of it. With things like Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and now how we do it is very different. Yeah, we don't have Jaws nineteen, uh, and yet we do. Uh, and that you're right; that is a very interesting point and a, a very interesting prediction that they they did get right. Honestly, I, I think it doesn't really work for part. Do you feel like they do anything with that in part three? That that same thing they did with Nostalgia in part two. Well, I think what part three does is bring back the thing that's out of fashion. Okay, right. and, and there, there is a th- that, so that is the other side of it that we're talking a little still about the fifties. What were the most popular films in the nineteen fifties? The western, okay. the western, the western was on television. The western was all over the cinema. I mean, that that was the radio. The, yeah, the radio. It was everywhere, and it sort of begins to die about the nineteen sixties. And so, as we think about right now, at the moment we're in, um, what was the big set of movies that everyone was paying attention to? It was the big franchise, and it was the big action adventure. And you're right. I'm just saying. I mean, you know. you're absolutely right. And so there's there's now those things are different because we're 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 cycling again sort of the content of the 80s itself, those comics and those again sort of D level comics. Let's not forget that Iron Man and Thor were not huge characters, but they Correct. were those D levels kind Correct. of, and uh, they were out of fashion, they were out of style, and that's what they brought back. And so there's still a weird way in which post modernity continues to always be pastiche of nostalgia. And uh, to throw those things together, to remix and recook those things. And uh, there's a weird way in which this 1990 film is very prophetic of the 20-teens moment we're in. And you're absolutely right, because what is being done with, you know, superheroes in the 20-teens moment is doing the same. I mean, we're telling the same stories that Westerns told, Mm -hmm. right? And the same stories that Westerns told are the same stories that the pulp serials told from the 30s that we would go on and tell again in the 70s with Star Wars uh, that we told previously with folk tales and the tales of greek gods and you know western mythology and western storytelling are intimately bound together uh we're always telling the same myths we're just doing it when with different folk tales honestly and now we're instead of using uh the narrative of western expansion we're using uh the narrative of fictional superheroes and you're right i I think that is a good point that uh, back to the future part three does kind of see that coming in, in some regard and i guess the only negative thing i would say about all of that is that sort of um 
uninteresting, unsurprising sort of set of expectations. There's a line that in, uninteresting take on the yeah, old West. There, there's a line in uh, this is weird to make as a quote, but there's a line from Fellowship of the Ring mm-hmm. uh, when Bilbo's giving his party speech, and as he begins that, he says everything he says at this point is obvious and nothing unexpected, which is just the kind of thing those people wanted to hear. And I know Tolkien's writing a long time ago about sort of a culture in uh, parts of England, but he's very much also addressing this moment that we're in right now, that we were in in the 80s, that we were in in the 50s, is that we want everything to be very obvious and that which we don't ex- that which is always being expected. And so there, there's something like that going on there as well. So last thing I wanted to address, though, with the film is Marty's arc. This discussion of the use of violence. Again, violence in the Western has been a massive bit of storytelling. Uh, the myth of redemptive violence. Those- well, not, not only violence, but the invocation of cowardice. Yes. And that's that's really what it's tied to for Marty. For Marty, it's it's less about a, a uh, the morality of violence and more about his ability to put himself in a dangerous position because uh, an assumption is being made about his bravery. Because nobody calls me chicken. Or yellow. Yeah, or a yellow turd. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or a chicken turd or a yellow chicken. Any, any variation thereof. Yeah, and, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's a growth thing that happens there, but yet and still, I, I think it get, this is one of those things where it eats its own tail. So he says, I'm not going to fight you, you know, Mad Dog Tannen, mm-hmm. and he lets him shoot him, and, and, it, and he sort of absorbs that. But then what does he come back and do? He, he beats, beats the up. stew out of him with a piece of metal and then punches him. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's just we're using different weapons. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is certainly... It walks right up to the line of saying something about like, you know, you take the violence upon yourself for your for the sake of people you care about, not you go out to destroy somebody else who threatens your safety. Right. It's uh, it, it tries to do something interesting with that instead of letting the justice be the town's justice. And it's still Marty's justice because he beats up a tannin ancestor and knocks him into a big pile of poop. You know, um, this is where I want to be a screenwriter for just a second. And also, let's go ahead and assume that he does beat up the big old uh, tannin, rel- uh, the the tannin ancestor, knocks him into a pile of poop. Wouldn't that change the course of Biff Tannen in 1985's life? Wouldn't his ancestry, his genetic pool, be forever changed by the time that Mad Dog Biff Tannen, instead of getting away with murder, got beat up and arrested? Not if we live in a timeline where all timelines exist at the same time in a cycle, so that this has already happened before, and that's how we got to the Biff that we have today. You know, here's the thing. I know that Arthur knows that that was gibberish, but I also know that he knows that it sounded brilliant. So here's what could have happened. <laughs> I think no matter what, Biff got arrested or Mad Dog got arrested. Yes. For, for uh, At some point, Mad Dog for, got arrested. Pulling he, up the stage, right? He just got arrested earlier. He, well, he got arrested at some point. Uh, our, our, Marty, all he has to do is go into the archives at some point go, oh, well, this is, you know, we have one extra scene where this is, he gets arrested the day that he shoots Doc Brown. And that uh, he goes in for he goes in for the murder of shooting Doc Brown, but what we would have been arrested for was holding up the stage. And then all he's got to do is give a tip to the sheriff. This is where you're going to be. This is what he's going to do. And then he's got to play for the camera. He's got to do his moonwalk dance a little bit again. And then suddenly, brains over brawn, you know, brilliance over violence. Yeah. And suddenly, it's a different kind of story. It's you're that absolutely right. Easy to fix. Yeah. No, it just has to be him tipping off the marshal. Uh, and and you still he still gets to you have the bulletproof vest callback you still have all these things 
It just doesn't become about the choice to beat up Biff Tannen, which is all he wants because Biff Tannen has made his life terrible um, throughout this franchise. Right. And and so anyway, it, it's it's one of those, again, continuing sort of conversations that we keep having about the use of violence in film, and it is worthwhile to continue. But um, enough of that. Do we have anything else we want to bring up, gentlemen? Well, I just want to go ahead and say that I want, I want to put a pin in that final point. I, I think you were – I was thinking about the, the car scene, right, where he's about to race the guy that kind of looks like Flea. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is Flea. It is Flea. Oh, shoot. Well, there you go. Where he's about to, to race Flea. Uh, wow, I wasn't sure if it was Needles is Flea. That's wonderful. Um, it made me – what you've just pointed out has kind of recontextualized that scene for me because instead of it being about his, you know, being willing to not be proved a coward, it still ends up being about – his desire to look like a badass. Right. Right. He doesn't race needles, but he still has to show up needles uh, and do a donut and be like, ha ha, you may, I made you think I was going to race you. It stops. It doesn't be a, doesn't become about him getting over his kind of toxic masculinity. It becomes about him being smart about it, which mm-hmm. is kind of the wrong lesson for the movie to learn. So I was excited about this franchise tying up his arc, but now you've you've made me really rethink that. And uh, thanks for that. Uh, sorry. No, no. I think I think you've made some really. I think you've made some. Thanks for ruining it. No, 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 no. I, I appreciate uh, the complications you've brought to to the arc resolution that Zemeckis gives Marty McFly. But uh, and, th- and this kind of conversation is what make this stuff worthwhile. It's why we do what we do. But let's come to the point of the show where we render a verdict about this film. So, Back to the Future Part Three: Shell for Trash, Else or Instead. As everyone makes the deep, frowny, neck muscle vein, puppyotty face. Yeah, everybody's got thinky face. Oh man, they don't know what they're gonna do. I'm gonna go to you first, Arthur, because you look the most perplexed. Ha <laughs> ha! Shell for Trash, Else or Instead. Um, I say with infinite timelines and, and so much to do that you uh, you trash it in this timeline and maybe in a different uh, different timeline you can watch it. Um, instead, uh, maybe Earth know, Two's Back yeah. to the Part Back to the Future Part Three is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I, I say you watch some other movies, and some of these are you know just as trashable. But um, I watched some movies that I, I think would have inspired a young Doc Brown, uh, that adventurous spirit, that Jules Verne yes. adventurous spirit. Uh, watch Guy Pierce in the Time Machine. Um, go out and watch uh, Kong Skull Island, uh, and then go out and uh, watch uh, watch uh, Charlton Heston take on those apes, all of those dirty, dirty apes in Planet of the Apes. And I think that's a uh, that's a trilogy to have some fun with. All right. Good I picks. like that. Yeah, that's, those are good picks. That's excellent, sir. Okay, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Well, um, I'm going to have to agree with Arthur, I think. Um, Back to the Future Part 1 is very good and very shelfable. I don't know that you need either of the sequels, but you really probably don't need Back to the Future Part 3. Now, I did enjoy it a lot more than I thought, and if you really love everything about Back to the Future Part 1 from top to bottom, I think it's worth your time, probably. But... Uh, yeah, unless you're just a diehard Zemeckis completist, you can probably completionist. You can go ahead and go on with your life. What would you watch instead, though? Well, that's a great question. I'm going to go ahead and recommend uh, Robert Zemeckis' most recent film, Allied, uh, with Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard. Uh, I really liked it. I think it is kind of doing some of the same things that maybe he wanted to do with um, Back to the Future Part Three, looking at another film genre and looking at it through different eyes. Uh, because as Arthur pointed out, he has made a big part of his career being about um, taking off rose-colored glasses to some extent. I think Ally does it. It's like Casablanca, but what? But also with the horrors of war, mm-hmm. which I think is a really interesting choice. So uh, I, I like Ally. It's not a perfect film, but I definitely think it's 
you know, we're, we are in the holidays. It's streaming on several platforms now because it came out last year. So I think it's a very solid, like, if you have an older family, it's a, it's a great after-a-holiday gathering movie. You know what I mean? It's yeah. definitely worthwhile. Um, also, uh, check out from uh, this year, Logan, uh, another franchise a sequel set in the West in some regards. Not the Old West this time, more the uh, modern version of the Southwest and later on into the film, the Northwest. Uh, but a, a really solid film that does a much better job of tying up its franchise's characters and its themes. And... I think does some more interesting things with the question of violence. Now, obviously, it is a horrifically violent film, um, but I and it has some of the same problems that Back to the Future Part Three does, where the the hero still gets to do some badass stuff. Um, but again, I think it is kind of tackling some similar things, and you know, the western setting is is compelling and, and worth mentioning. So I definitely think Logan from this year would be a good else. Um, finally, here's a weird one that's totally out of left field. I don't want to recommend Rick and Morty because I just don't want to. I like the show, but Rick and Morty fans are kind of the fucking worst, and I, I just don't want to. I can't do it on this podcast. So what will I do instead of recommending that show that I really do like? Uh, let's do Whiplash, because I think it does the same thing. Uh, Whiplash, much like Rick and Morty, takes the idea of a Doc Brown character, the idea of, you know, a character that goes back all the way to, um, oh gosh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, who am I thinking of? The Sherman. Sherman, Mr. Sherman Mr. Peabody. Peabody. Thank you, Arthur. I mean, that, it is a pretty ingrained thing in pop culture, is, uh, the youthful young sprite full of, uh, adventure and promise, uh, and the old mentor. Um, Rick and Morty kind of does the same thing that Whiplash does, is it interrogates that relationship. It says, what does the old mentor who is trying to invoke greatness out of a, out of a youth, what does that do? And I think uh, both that television show and the film Whiplash interrogate that relationship in really interesting ways because it is a dynamic that's been presented in storytelling so often. So that, that's those are my else's, or rather my insteads of Back to the Future Part 3. Um, I, I think there's some interesting ones in there. I, a lot of recent picks, I know, but uh, I think something to be gleaned from the, those recent uh, films. All righty. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, Mr. Dalton I am also going to say trash. I just, no, th- there's, no. Yeah, totally fair. Just no. So, but what what should you watch instead? So if you want to watch like a 90s Western with bad Irish accents, uh, without the time travel problem. Yep, I know which one exactly. Yep, far and away. Yeah, the Ron yep. Howard film with Tom Cruise Tom and Nicole Cruise Kidman. Nicole Kidman. I have yeah. no aim to fight you, and uh, it's good times. It's, it's it's crazy. It's silly. It's just ridiculous in many ways. Um, ends up in the Oklahoma land run, and yeah, it's 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 a fun movie though. If you're just looking for that sort of popcorn time, uh, without sort of losing your mind trying to uh, draw diagrams with drinking straws, that's your way out of that. Now, instead of watching a western, what you also should watch in Instead is an Eastern, um, and you should talk about the problems that Ego brings us in the quicksand of Ego film by Akira Kurosawa, Rashomon, and how all of that saving face, all of that sort of trying to defend yourself can result in really, really kind of maddeningly crazy sort of understandings of the world, and Rashomon is a great film. It's absolutely fantastic. Totally, totally worth your time. You know, as many times as we've invoked it this last uh, half of the episode, you maybe should also watch Looper uh, because we, oh, we've, yeah. in, we've invoked the, the Drinking Straws diagram reference several times. And uh, what, what a fun film. I'm so, glad, I'm so glad you ended up liking that movie more than you remembered when we did it for the show. Yeah, I liked it more. Yeah, he liked it a lot. Remember when he saw it in theaters? He hated it. Yeah, it was yeah. not. Well, really didn't that. like it. Yeah. So, uh, any, any other recommendations? That's to, it. Well, to be, 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 beating around the bush. I mean, you got to mention Unforgiven, right? 
Oh my god, the best nineties western. The revisionist western, yeah. Wow, yeah, totally for only two years after Back to the Future Part Three. Interestingly enough, apparently Clint Eastwood was quite uh, delighted. Uh, They they called him to see if he would be fine with him having having the main character go by Clint Eastwood, and he was delighted by it, which I think is kind of adorable. That is adorable. So, well, there you go, dear listener. That is the first installment of our uh, part three, lesser part three's marathon, chapter one. Chapter one. So the first one uh, is in the books, and uh, it did not get shelved. It, It is not. Up to the snuff of its of its original, um, in, in what's the word I'm looking for? Incarnation? Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. So uh, what do we got up on the docket next? What is the next part three we will uh, be taking to task? Gentlemen, next week we spared no expense as we return to Jurassic Park. That's right, Jurassic Park part three, guys. No subtitle on that one, just Jurassic Park three, which is yeah. fun. Really, the singing. Not enough Goldblum. Not enough Goldblum, but we do get some Sam Neill. Yes. More Sam Neill. We're going to watch another lesser third part of a trilogy, or sometimes longer than a trilogy. Uh, As I say, we've got part five coming out next year. so It's a franchise now. It's a a thing. It's gone from trilogy to franchise, which is, you know, as bad as Jurassic World was, probably for the best, because... You can't. That, that's the thing about saying we're doing a trilogy. When part three ends up being bad, just kind of bums everybody out. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe mm. just commit to doing four or five. So, well, we're going to watch that because it's all about having a conversation. And I think no matter what Jurassic Park has in store for us, what Velociraptors may devour my co-hosts, it is going to Wait, be worth what? it. Especially if a Velociraptor devours some of my co-hosts. No, I don't want that. <laughs> It's okay, Timmy. Well, how fast are they? Well, I, Very fast. I don't be faster than like, them. I said be faster like, than you. I was, I was hoping you would say cheetah speed. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. We'll see you next week. So we're going to see you next week. You keep watching. Nope, I signed off already. We'll see you next week. We'll keep talking. Nope. See, you. see you next time. Bye. No expense. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For more Good Trash information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is a supercut by Mr. Arthur Gordon, with a little help from Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer, and a bunch of movie quotes curated by Arthur himself. Our outro music is Power Love, brought to you by Huey Lewis and the News. <laughs>